Has anyone seen the old Martin Scorsese movie, Cape Fear? It's a terrifying suspense thriller that my sister convinced me to go and see at the movies with her years ago when we were young. When we got out, my sister, who was a film student back then, raved about the amazing cinematography, the incredible lighting, the creative angles, blah, blah, blah. Me? I was frightened out of my mind. I was still shaking days later. My abdominal muscles literally felt like I had done a two-hour crunch for the duration of the movie. How could two people go through the exact same thing and have two completely different responses? I was paralysed with fear and having nightmares, while my sister was edified. She was educated. How could this be? Could it be that our focus was different? Our goals worlds apart. The circumstances of our lives can be a little bit like going to see that movie, can't they? Some seem to waltz through and nothing really phases them, while for others the same circumstances seem frightening and produce a ton of anxiety. Christians aren't given a reprieve from the hard, scary times, but we have been given promises that help us and models that show us the way. We have a different focus and goal that allows us to have courage and strength in fearful times. Okay, so put your hand up if you're afraid of spiders. What about snakes? Heights? How about needles? Here's one. How about COVID? Yeah. We all have fears, don't we? They may not be as specific as these, but we're all afraid of something. What makes you afraid? What gives you anxiety? How about loneliness or failure or rejection? These are a little bit deeper, a little bit more hidden, a little bit more secret but they can have an even greater and longer term effect on our lives than those fears we mentioned first. So what do we do if we struggle with fear and anxiety? How do we deal with our fears? Last Sunday, Jimmy Lane preached about this. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about it, but I want to be clear that I'm talking about a fear that occurs in a fairly normal range. If you are really struggling with extreme fear and anxiety, please seek professional help, a counsellor or a psychologist. But today we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about fear and how to address it. The passage we read is from the Psalms, but fear is mentioned right throughout the whole Bible. In fact, the phrase fear not is apparently mentioned 365 times throughout the Bible, one for every day of the year. It's the most common command in the Bible. Why? Because we need it. Fear is a natural human condition and one that many of the people in the Bible struggled with as well at times. So we're going to look at four well-known scenes in the Bible and look at how the people in them dealt with fear. But first, what is fear? What is fear? 
Fear often gets a bad rap, I think, but fear in itself is not a bad thing. It's not a sin. In fact, it's a gift. God created us to feel fear in threatening situations, to elicit a response in us that would hopefully get us out of danger. Most of us have heard of the fight, flight, freeze response. Well, fear is there to keep us safe. But sometimes we fear things we shouldn't, and sometimes our fear doesn't switch off and it causes us to feel continuously anxious and worried. Then it can be stifling. It can hold us prisoner. It can stop us from achieving our goals. It can cause significant physical health issues, not to mention the effects on our psychological health. One of the worst effects of fear for us as Christians is that it can take our eyes off God. This is giving in to fear and this is what the Bible tells us not to do when it says do not fear. So practically, what might that fight, flight, freeze reaction look like in our lives? Well, fight is pretty obvious. Um, it might be a lashing out at people around us. It, you know, it could be that our temper has a real hair trigger and our reactions are way over the top when we're feeling like that. Flight might look like withdrawal and avoidance of certain people, places or situations. This might be an unwillingness to try something new or even an unwillingness, unwillingness to invest deeply in relationships. Then there's freeze and that could be anything from complete inability to think rationally or make a decision under stress to a full-blown panic attack that literally disables the body. There's another reaction that's only um, more recently been recognised. It's called fawning. Has anyone heard of that? The Ashley Addiction Treatment website says fawning is a response marked by people-pleasing behaviours, conflict avoidance, inability to find one's voice or to stand up for yourself in the face of a threat and take care of the needs of others to one's own detriment. These are things we might do when we just react to fear. But as Christians, that's not who we are. We have a choice with how we respond to things because we are a new creation in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Our past does not need to affect our present. Our default settings need to be cleared and reset based on our manual for life, the Word of God. So then, what does the Bible say about how we should respond to fear? Let's have a look at these four stories. The first one is Joshua. So I'll set the scene for you. Moses, the leader of the Israelites who led them out of slavery in Egypt and around the desert for 40 years, has just died. And God has appointed Joshua as the new leader of the Israelites. He's told to lead them into the promised land, which they've just learned is full of enemy tribes. But God says he'll give it to them. Just go and take it. Well, how would you feel if you were Joshua? In just the first chapter of the book of Joshua, he is told 
five times to be strong and courageous. Five times in just 18 verses. That's like every three and a half verses. Why do you think he needs to be told to be strong and courageous so often? Yep, because he's scared. He's totally freaking out about the job God has given him. But God tells him in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. That's easy to say, but where does your strength and courage come from? Secular counsellors will tell us that it comes from reminding ourselves of our past successes, our strengths, the power within, the claims we make for ourselves. It comes from believing in ourselves. But where does the Bible tell us our strength and courage comes from? Let's look at verse 9 again. It says, Do not be afraid, do not be anxious, or sorry, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for, or because, The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It comes from knowing that God is with us wherever we go. Note that I just said knowing, not feeling. There are times where our brains, what we know, has to override our emotions, what we feel. I'll tell you a a, um, story about Rosie when she was about five or six she was having swimming lessons down at that, you know, Mount Annan swimming pool. And uh, actually, Tammy Duna was her swimming teacher at the time. She uh, had got to the end of that particular class and that term of, of, of learning in, the, in that level of swimming. And she could do everything brilliantly except one thing. And that one thing was holding her back from... Um, going up to the next class. So Tammy said to me, listen, she really needs to go up to the, be- to the next class. She's the best swimmer in that class, but she just won't jump in off the edge to me. She's just scared. So she told me to go practice with Rosie every day for the next you know, two weeks of the holidays that were coming up. She would hold a place for Rosie in the next class And on that day, Rosie would come in, jump to her, and she would put us straight up. So that's what we did every day. We went in there and we jumped and jumped and jumped, and she was fine. But on the day of her class, we walked into those, you know, those glass sliding doors. We walked through there, and Rosie stopped and froze and said, no, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. Oh, so I just, I took us straight into the women's toilet. We locked ourselves in a cubicle. And in desperation, I prayed and I said, God, please help Rosie always know that you are with her. Anyway, we walked out of the bathroom and I was thinking, well, this will never work. And Tammy was already in the pool and she said, Rosie, come on, jump into me. And Rosie just walked over and jumped in like she'd done it a million times. Couldn't believe it. After the lesson, I said to her, Rosie, that's fantastic. What happened? And she, she looked a bit sort of shocked at my question. And she said, what do you mean? She said, you told me God was always with me. 
our behaviour can change when we know that it's true. All right, let's move on to our next story. And as we go into Easter, this is very topical. It's the story of Jesus and the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then we'll look at Jesus before Pilate. It's a really long story and we don't have time to read it today, but I'm sure you'll be familiar with it. And I really encourage you to read it at home. Um, I'm looking at Matthew 26 and 27, but it's also in the other Gospels. So Jesus and the disciples have just gone up to the Garden of Gethsemane after the Last Supper. Jesus knows the time for his betrayal and death is getting closer. He knows what's coming. Interestingly, the Bible never says that Jesus felt afraid. Of all the times he would be likely to feel fear, this would be it, you'd think. But Matthew 26, 37 says Jesus felt sorrowful and troubled. In his distress, then, what did he do? Well, we see two things in this story. The first thing that he did was that he remained connected with those who loved him. He called on his friends and asked them to stay with him. And he turned to his father, God. The second thing, he prayed, the Bible tells us, and repeatedly. It says three times that night, Jesus took his sorrow and troubles to the father, pouring out his anguish. So these actions, remaining connected and praying, allowed Jesus to calmly and courageously move forward. Despite what lay ahead of him, he was at peace and trusted God's heart and his plan for his life. <clears throat> Excuse me. He knew who he was and what God had asked him to do and was able to accept this and fulfill his purpose. Three times that night, Jesus returned from praying to find the disciples asleep. Though Jesus had warned them that he was going to be betrayed, they, he warned them that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed that night. And yet they couldn't stay awake to pray. Well, we know what comes later, don't we? Matthew twenty six fifty six tells us all the disciples left him and fled. Jesus gave them the way to deal with their anxiety and fear. Prayer. But they didn't utilise it. What do you think would have happened if, like Jesus, they had stayed awake and prayed and wrestled with their fear and giving it to, giving it to God? Would they have been able to resist running? Would Peter have had the courage to stand up to his accusers and avoid denying Christ? Well, we'll never know. But what we do know is they fled. In their panic and their terror, the disciples took their eyes off God. They lost sight of the eternal, of the big picture. They forgot what Jesus had taught and promised them and became overwhelmed with their circumstances, what they could see, the here and the now. Does this sound like us at all? In not turning to God in prayer, the disciples missed out on the gift of peace. Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7, which is what Jimmy uh, spoke about, says, Do not be anxious about anything, 
but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is the opposite of fear. How do we get it? The Bible tells us the answer. Prayer. The next part of that story as we move on is Jesus standing before the Roman governor Pilate. One man at the mercy of the other, both in seriously stressful situations for different reasons. You can read it uh, in Matthew 27 and also other Gospels. Here I just love to see the contrasting images of these two men, Pilate and Jesus. On the one hand, there's Pilate with all the power in the land bestowed on him by the largest empire in the world at the time. But we see a picture of an agitated, conflicted, uncertain man. He's going back and forth between Jesus and the crowd, asking them what he should do. And even his wife is adding her two cents worth. He's fearful of the angry mob and he's anxious. How is he going to please them all? And then there's Jesus, who stands beaten, spat upon, and bound. Yet he's composed, regal, at peace. How is this possible? Where is his fear? It's not there, because his eyes at this point are fixed firmly on his goal. He is sure of his path. He's certain that his future is securely in his father's hands. Well, you know the story. Pilate eventually gives in to the mob, washes his hands and gives Jesus over to be crucified. He knows the right thing to do, but his fears prevent him from doing it. I know which man I want to be like. All right, let's look at our last story. And this is the story of David. David, who wrote Psalm 71 in his old age and after an amazing, extraordinary life. You know the story. He was found as a shepherd boy and crowned king of Israel. But in between those two events, he took on an actual giant with just a few stones and a slingshot. And he served a king who tried to kill him many times. He led his army to victory in many wars. He was an adulterer and a murderer. He had a completely dysfunctional family. There was incest among the kids and he had a rebellious son, Absalom, who tried to kill him as well. He hid out in caves in the wilderness on the run from King Saul and his son for years. This is a man who knew fearful situations who lived with grief, hardship, uncertainty. But David also had a lifetime of experiencing God's faithfulness, of seeing God answer his prayers, being delivered from his enemies. And so David writes a kind of summation of his life with God. There's a beautiful sense of assurance and peace in this psalm. 
in his times of trouble, and we know that there were lots, how does David say he dealt with fear? In verse 1 it says, He turned to his God and took refuge with him. He recognised who God is. God is his rock and fortress, verse 3 says, and he recounts God's attributes. He cries out to the Lord for rescue and deliverance, verse 2 says, and later he pours out his anguish and fear to the Lord. He gives it all to God. Then in verses 5 and 6, he reminds himself of God's faithfulness throughout his life. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth, it says. Do we do that? Do we spend time recalling God's goodness and faithfulness in our own lives? Psalm 78, 4-7 tells us to tell these stories to our children and our grandchildren. What a great way to teach our kids while reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness. Finally, David says he will praise God anyway. Verse 14 says, As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. And he does. He praises God amidst the chaos and fear and uncertainty. Do you notice where David's focus is? It's not on what's going on around him. It's on the Lord. David turns to God and throws himself on God's mercy, crying out to God to save him. And in the end, he's able to praise God and rest in the hope of his salvation. So we've seen four different scenes played out before us today. All the people involved were in high stress, even downright frightening situations. And we saw how they dealt with their fears and stress. So to go back to our question right at the start, how could two people go through the exact same thing and have completely different responses? For those who belong to Christ, the difference comes from knowing that God is always with us. It's from knowing who we are in Christ. It's from turning our fears and burdens over to him in prayer and let him carry them. It's allowing his peace that surpasses all understanding to soothe, calm and protect us. It's never taking our eyes off the prize of look, we need to look to God, not to ourselves and the world. And it's reminding ourselves frequently of the evidence of God's love and faithfulness in our lives. May you know that freedom from fear and anxiety that can only be found in Christ as you practice these things. May you know God's peace today. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, our rock and our fortress, Thank you that we can bring our fears um, and our anxieties to you in prayer and that you can replace them with peace that surpasses all understanding. Thank you that you are a God who understands us and that you offer us refuge, comfort and deliverance. Help us to put into practice what we've learned today. Amen.